Welcome to Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan, a podcast where two friends catch up and talk about whatever nerdy stuff comes to mind, usually over hookah. Enjoy. So I, I am officially boosted. I got my COVID booster today. Oh, congratulations. Yes, yes. I signed up. I was like, you know, I think I'd like to get rid of get, you know, get that finalized and done. And so I uh, got on the website, the Virginia Health website, and um, signed up. And I was like, what do I want? And so I asked for a Moderna uh-huh. just to spice things up. And so now I am part Johnson and Johnson and part Moderna. Yeah. Um, I'm waiting for the brainwashing to soon begin. Right. You're waiting for the microchips to start taking effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll see. I just Amanda saw got t- Amanda got her booster as well. Awesome. Um, we took Maddie over to get her initial shot. Yeah. So we're one step closer to not giving a shit about anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really feel that. I really do. I uh, <laughs> I, I got you. I got that. <laughs> yeah, once once Maddie said, you know, that's how honestly I'm gonna struggle to field something different once Adre is um all vaccinated too. Well, at this point it's all kind of self-inflicted wounds, isn't it? I mean, that's where I that's where I struggle with. It's not that I want people to die or anything. It's just that, you know, you've had the opportunity to get this for free and you've had I mean it's widely available. And if you're actively choosing not to. I mean, I suppose there may be a few people out there that have legitimate reasons, but by and large, I think it's just political. And yeah. uh, if you're if you're too dumb to do what's best for you, then I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. I think what they ought to do January 1, 2022 is say, like, I'm not, I'm not in favor of like the mandating. I'm not in, I'm, I don't like the idea that we're forcing people to do it. Sure. Um, I believe people should be allowed to to die if they want to die. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what we don't have to do is subsidize it. Um, so like January 1, 2022, if I were Joe Biden, I would say, all right, listen, you've had your opportunities. And from now on, we're not paying for anything. If you go to the hospital, it's on your insurance company. And then let right. people's insurance companies force them to get their vaccine or drop them, you know. And, yeah. and then like. You know, if you choose not to do it, fine, but then you're on your own and I'm not going to feel I'm not going to pay for you or help fix you if you if you won't do it yourself. That's what I would do. Yeah. I, so I uh, am writing a paper this semester on a public theologian that I've come to really like named Reinhold Niebuhr. Yeah, he's a um, like Barack Obama like to read him famously Michelle Obama Michelle Obama's book. Uh, yeah. She describes a moment where she, after fucking Barack, um, which I was like, well done, Michelle. You know, that's yeah. good. Uh, I might do the same if I had the chance, you know, <laughs> like whatever. But like after fucking Barack what, and his. Uh, fuck Barack or read Why not? No, why not? Why not? Fuck Barack, why not? Or at least hang out with him, you yeah. know, like, like whatever. But like he, she describes a moment while they were dating that they have sex and then they're hanging out in his apartment. And they're like naked in bed, and he's just reading Reinhold Niebuhr, like like <laughs> while he's in bed. I'm like, yeah, 
But Reinhold Niebuhr, who w- might be a theologian you'd like, but he, one of the things he... We've talked a, about him before, so... Yeah, I, I've talked about him before, but he, he likes to talk about, like, Christian myth, and, you know, mm-hmm. he, he refers to the Bible as a myth, and he, he does a lot of the moves that, that you appreciate. He makes a lot of the moves you appreciate. <laughs> but one of the things he, he says is, he's like, hey, hey, guys, you know what works? Power. You right. know, and, and he's kind of <laughs> like, and he's like, and I don't mean that in, like, a weird, tyrannical way. I just mean that, in that, hey, if you want to get people to do the right thing, you apply power to the situation and then you, you, you sort of coerce them into doing the right thing. And he's like, does that mean the government should do that? Hell no. But it might mean that we need to do that. You know, right. like, like it, might, it might mean that like, hey, OK, well, you've had your COVID. You, you've had your chance to get to get your COVID vaccine. I guess it's time um, and you don't want to do it. That's fine. But uh, we will take away public money and and now you will have to do it when you are sick so right. enjoy like like that's that would be a very neberian like yeah do and, that and you know we do this stuff all the time like the government does this stuff all the time for things yeah. uh and, and you know it doesn't matter which political party's in power they both do it like mm-hmm. if you know trump slapped it started a trade war with china yeah, <laughs> you know, because he didn't like, you know, like it, it's not like a, a new thing. It's not like something outside of government's powers to do that or withhold funding for stuff. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Just don't do it. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. It, it was one of the things Niebuhr talked about with like nonviolence. Like that's where this. That's I read Niebuhr in one of my classes a semester on, um, like theologies of resistance and reconciliation. It's been a fun class, but like. Niebuhr has this sort of um, famous critique of like n- the use, like pacifism. Like there was a long time where Niebuhr was a pacifist. And then in the early 30s, he wrote this book called Moral Man and Immoral Society, where he, he comes out of, officially as not being a pacifist anymore. He's like, I've given that shit up. Like, that shit's not going to work. And, uh, and everybody's like, Reinhold, why? Like, why are you saying this? And and uh, and he's like, I mean, a because of power, we need to use power in order to enact social change, and power is important, and that's just how it works. And b like, I don't get me wrong, it's not like I'm in favor of murdering somebody the moment they get butt hurt. <laughs> like like I'm not in favor of that. Like I just think that you know pacifism, as we understand it, is a sort of a denial of the principles of power like like we 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 are non-resistant and we don't we don't want to we don't want to coerce anybody doing anything and we just hope that things will work out and neighbors like bullshit bullshit <laughs> you know you coerce them you co you if you have to you coerce them with physical violence but before you coerce them with physical violence you can coerce them with economic violence you <laughs> coerce them with you know like 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 if neighbor was watching the black lives matter folks and he like watched them like loot like a target. He'd be like, he'd probably shrug and he'd be like, "Did anybody get killed? No. All right. Well, that's the best we can hope for, guys. Like, <laughs> loot that fucking target. You know, <laughs> like sometimes that works. You know, sometimes you got to loot a target. You know, right. in order in order to get what you want. Well, but, I feel uh, kind of like I feel, I feel kind of like pacifism is 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 good in theory, but right. not so much in practice. It's like libertarianism, right? It sounds great on paper, but it's just not practical. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I, well, I, you know, and I, I, it's funny you bring them together like that because, um, 
Niebuhr, this is why I think, you know, if, if you ever find yourself wanting to read Niebuhr, let me know because I'll get you a Niebuhr book because I think you'd like him. But like, but Niebuhr, Niebuhr would totally agree with, with drawing those two things together. Libertarianism yeah. and pacifism. Yeah, what, what we're talking about are, are, are sort of forms of magical thinking. Like we're talking right. about fantasy worlds in which, in which we deny a couple of like obvious things about the world where like one of those obvious things for like libertarians, one of those obvious things is the fact that human beings are interdependent. Like right. we, we, we need each other in order to like hunt mammoth. We needed each other to hunt mammoth and we need each other to do this now. Like, like it's just how it works. <laughs> Nobody hunted a mammoth by themselves. That would be ridiculous. You know, they right. would get murdered. But, um, but and, and Niebuhr would, would point to that and be like, yeah, you, you missed that. And then a pacifism, he'd be like, you, you just miss the, the fundamental reality of power. You miss, you miss the fact that human beings are fickle and weird and, 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 and sometimes even sometimes when we know. Sometimes we're just assholes. Yeah, and sometimes <laughs> we're just assholes. We don't even know. Like, sometimes we know what the right thing is and we don't care, you know. <laughs> and, and, and Niebuhr's like, Niebuhr's like, yeah, sometimes that's true. But, like, this is why you, you know, apply power to it. Niebuhr's funny because he, he was. He, <laughs> and speaking of which, happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day, everybody. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we went to Buffalo Wild Wings today. And Buffalo uh-huh. Wild Wings had, like, a separate table set up for like fallen veterans and just had this giant glass of beer and then shitty wings and i'm like the veterans are very happy thank you right they're very pleased that's a way to thank a vet don't give them health care give them <laughs> wings and beer wings for the and dead beer. ones yeah, yeah symbolic wings because <laughs> yeah. if they were going to say hey all all veterans active duty and past service and have free wings and beer that'd be a financial hit so we'll just set a table for right. the dead ones and and then pat ourselves on the back for being patriotic it makes me want that, to throw up in my mouth that, that's right i mean but that's that's how that's how everything works all the way down that's why that's why the only people who are fooled by this are dumb liberals you know of which of which i guess i am one but like like at the end of the day they're we're the ones they're the ones that are fooled it's like well like you know this company is pro lgbtq because of this rainbow flag i mean like shut the fuck up guys let's just be quiet for just a fucking second like you know how you can be pro LGBTQ? It's the same way you can be pro anything. Pay them well and don't fucking yeah. rob them. <laughs> you yeah. know? That's how you can be. That's that's like and if you talk to a gay person, that's what they'll tell you. They'll be like, oh well, one way you can be in favor of my rights is by not trying to take my rights away and paying me a living fucking wage. <laughs> and then we're set. <laughs> you know, then we're good. I, I don't have to see a rainbow flag ever again. Yeah. <laughs> as long as that's I didn't show happening. up at your wedding and scream. Don't show up at my wedding and scream. And then we'll call it even because that's <laughs> equality, right? They're not <laughs> asking for nice. special treatment. They're not asking for anything different. They're just asking to be left the fuck alone. So leave them the fuck alone. That's, How about that's that? Right. Let's try that. <laughs> Give that a shot. But uh, but yeah, to, to wrap up the Niebuhr thing, Niebuhr has this great moment in Moral Man and in Moral Society where he, he you know, as he's talking about power, he, he's kind of like, I'd spent, he was a pastor in Detroit. He, so like prior to him becoming Ooh. this theologian and this ethicist, like, so well, he was a pastor in Detroit when Detroit was banging. Not, not and like, he was a pastor not like Detroit. 1987 Detroit. No, no, no. <laughs> he was a pastor in Detroit in, in the, the twenties. And, um, and so prior to that, prior to him becoming this theologian and ethicist and professor, he's this pastor for like eight years in Detroit. And while he was there, he, he, he was like, Hey, Guess, guess what I got, you know, real into real fast. I got into labor unions real fast because <laughs> yeah. it's effing Detroit. 
and all of the people there worked for Ford, and all of them were getting fucking screwed. And yeah. and and you, my people needed a strong labor in order labor union in order to not get fucking screwed. And and you know what? And he was like, and what I did while I was a pastor there was I aided in social activism to get them, you know, to to help help the union become stronger and help them secure what they need to do. And lots of cool things happened. One, everybody started to get paid way more money. They got more time off. The church got way more money. And, right. and, and Niebuhr's like, and I got way more money. And so everything really worked out well. And so in Moral Man and Immoral Societies talks about uh, uh, the power of, of capital always has to be countered by the power of labor. And so, and he's like not a Marxist. Niebuhr's not a Marxist at all. Like he he knows right. Marx, but he's not he's not really a Marxist. But he's like the power of capitalism must be countered by the power of labor. And somebody, uh, a reviewer for his book, said something wacky about that moment. He was like, "It seems to me that Mr. Niebuhr, uh, you know, uh, has been reading too much Marx and 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 doesn't have any faith in in the Christian charity of capitalists." And and uh, he res Niebuhr responds to this review like in an open letter, and he's like, "Well, Doctor Niebuhr, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Doctor, you're correct. Doctor Niebuhr uh, has been reading a little Marx and has absolutely no faith in Christian philanthropy <laughs> in capitalists. You are right. You know why? Well, it's because of sin, you dumb motherfucker. <laughs> like, like, like nobody. No, I don't have faith in anyone's Christian philanthropy. Thanks very much." <laughs> That's why you gotta have power to like force people to give up their money, and and yeah. I'm like, and he's like, yeah, that's what you gotta do. <laughs> and so it makes me laugh. Good old neighbor. So what's been going on, Matt? What's oh, going on? Been... What have you been up to? Been uh, been going to school. Yeah, going to work. Not going to do the play anymore. So that's nice. Today I spent my we had we had off for Veterans Day, and uh, I I went to work all day. <laughs> I just went to work at like eight o'clock, and uh, I did that. And then I had a parent teacher conference at three thirty, so I went to that. And then I went cool. and did some IT work from my mother in law, and then cool. I totally forgot we were recording. And then I, I was picking up Chinese because whenever my daughter wants food, she wants Chinese food. So I was picking up Chinese cool. when you texted me you're like hey is it good to go and i was like oh shit yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> that was my day no problem no um, problem that sounds busy yeah well it's busy in a good way like yeah. i i it wasn't like uh i mean i did some hard work today i did stuff that you know was taxing but it wasn't like mentally hard you know mm -hmm. what i mean like i had to like stand on a ladder all day and run wires that sucked but like, it wasn't bad. I'm I'm fine with it. Like, sure. I I actually enjoyed doing that stuff. It was, yeah. I I flipped the switch at the end of the day, and all the lights came on, and I was I felt satisfied. So that's good. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that's important. That's what important. about you? You got to be you got to be tying up the end of school here pretty soon, right? Yeah, man. I got a couple more weeks. Just like, uh, yeah, about three weeks. Three weeks total. Um, with one of the weeks in between for Thanksgiving, so no class then. So I'm. I'm spending, I spent some today. I got a, I got three papers and a book review. I got to write. Wow. Um, and so I picked a, I'll show you listeners. You won't be able to see this. I picked 
the thinnest book I could possibly find. Wise. That's like a uh, pamphlet, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> 70 pages. I was like, perfect. There's my book review. You know, and I... I'm doing a book review on where the wild things are. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'd like my PhD now, please. Thank you. You know, <laughs> so I've, I've picked that. I've, I've got my topics for my three-term papers. I'm writing on... Uh, I just... I, I'm going to be writing on Niebuhr for one of the papers. Yeah. Niebuhr is often... The, the quick and dirty version of all this, listeners, I don't want to bore everybody, but... I'll, I'll talk about my papers quick. There's only 12 of them. Don't worry about it. That's right. Yeah, fuck you, Richie. Sit down and shut up and, and listen to what I tell you to listen to. Dummy? No, I love you, Richie. I'd never, I don't, I don't think you're dummy. Um, uh, so Niebuhr, Niebuhr is, uh, is often accused um, of, of having a pretty anemic theological, like moral imagination. What I mean by, so like Niebuhr's whole thing, Matt, other than power, Niebuhr's whole thing is that human beings are just like real, real shitty. Like Niebuhr's, Niebuhr's <laughs> well, kind of like that's not a stretch, man. It's not a stretch. But Niebuhr's, <laughs> Niebuhr's like entire like theological ethics and stuff is sort of rooted in this, in this sort of uh, he would he would call realism. He 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 would he calls his position Christian realism. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I don't I've never read any of it, but from what you've described from him in the past and what you described from him today, he seems like a seems like a rational guy. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah a realistic kind of guy. So continue. Mm -hmm. No, no, I, I think I think you're correct in saying that. But so he'd consider himself a Christian realist. He's sort of the founder of this school of this way of doing Christian theological ethics, the Christian realist school. And and Niebuhr, Niebuhr primarily writes on. Um, uh, what basically? So he writes about politics. He's a public theologian. He writes about politics and ethics and society and and human beings. And and sort of his primary approach is to say, hey, human beings are are we're limited, we're finite, we're weak. We we have we we're not really able to we, we're we're able to strive for really great things, but but we're just not able to follow through. Like we just can't do it. And, and that striving is fine. It's a good thing, but but it becomes dangerous if we have if we if we lose sight of our finitude, if we lose sight of our weakness, um, because then we begin to imagine that we've like not only that we can do these really great things, which in and of itself is not a terrible thing, but we begin to imagine that we've accomplished these really really great things when really like we have not, and we're actually we're actually alluding we're 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 crafting illusions for ourselves into thinking we've accomplished these really, really great things. And, and he points to like, so he begins his, his theological career in the thirties. And so he, he sees um, sort of the, the state of uh, the American depression mm -hmm. and, and kind of says, yeah, here's a really great example of how America um, because of greed and decadence and human finitude sort of fails to imagine that we could possibly have ended up in such a bad state. Um, and then, and then he, he, he continues his career through World War II and, and points to, you know, you know that he talks about Germany and talks about, you know, World War II, and then he gets the Cold War and like, and like all this sort of stuff sort of unfolds, right? He's able to point to communism and liberal democracies and capitalism and, and sort of trace this, um, this theological idea of the human being kind of throughout it when he's like the biblical idea of the human being tells us that we are creatures touched by grace 
yet we are very frail and finite and and we too often imagine we too often remember the first thing and fail to remember the second thing you know and right that's sort of his thing and um one of the things that um i think he's a sophisticated thinker i really do i think that a lot of the critiques that they that people throw out his way are unfounded and wrong um but i think the things that are right are difficult because one of the things that that crit critics of Niebuhr and Christian realism sort of throw out at him is in at the end of the day from a historical what have the Christian realists done perspective Christian realists have not really done a lot they're really good at diagnosing a problem and they're and they're really bad at like inculcating ethical action like Niebuhr was an ethical dude like Niebuhr did a lot of social activism but like the Christian realist tradition that he founds is not known for that like right like like the so for example the alternative might be like a social gospely Martin Luther King Jr kind of a guy Martin Luther King Jr studied Niebuhr but is not an Niebuhrian he he understands that human beings are prone to sin but but martin luther king jr has a relatively high view of humanity and and called people to to go towards their higher selves and 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 at the end of the day had a lot more success than the christian realists did basically yeah. like in terms of creating uh change and so like the critique is that niebuhr's moral imagination is sort of stunted because of because of this leaning on you know, a, a, a kind of a, a low, Niebuhr would say realistic, but a low view of, of human beings and humanity. And um, I actually don't know if I buy that. I, I that's, that's what I'm going to write about. I'm going to write about um, um, how Niebuhr's method um, has resources for like a strong Christian moral imagination. And, and what ended up going south um, for Niebuhr is actually that he, he, uh, was not as critical of the Cold War as he should have been. By the time he gets to the Cold War, <laughs> by the time he gets to the Cold War, Niebuhr, it's Niebuhr's books change a little bit, and and he's they're still interesting, but like Niebuhr's books kind of become this like the first thing Christians need to do is we need to stop the Soviet Union, and I'm like, okay, sure. No communist I can think of off the top of my head thought the Soviet Union was any good, you know, <laughs> like, like <laughs> right. from, you know, on this side of the Soviet Union anyway. Like, like, so I'm not, I'm not bothered by that. But like Niebuhr's critical edge sort of disappears. Like he's not really able to see. There was a time when he was able to hold up like America and the enemy and be like, mm, let's not pretend like we're super angelic here, guys. Like, like right. let's. But by the time the Cold War arrives, Niebuhr mm, sort of loses that. And and so I'm I'm gonna write a, a paper about like how we can mine in some of Niebuhr's earlier writings um, more robust and more interesting like Christian moral imaginations about uh, overcoming tragedy and and you know different things. So I'm gonna write about that. That's one paper. Sounds interesting. I find it difficult every time, any time that somebody tries to, to put themselves on a on a pedestal or, or or their their country or their race or their individual self or whatever on a pedestal, and I feel like that happens a lot in Christianity. Yeah, yeah. So 
like um i understand sort of what you're saying with with, with neighbors philosophy if you will mm-hmm. but like is he really any better you in, know what in I mean? terms of what say in more terms, about what you mean well in terms of you know whenever he 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 decides that the, the cold war is a good thing yeah or you know he, he he's picking sides too you know right. if he he was a pastor i mean obviously he had a certain worldview and a certain you know aesthetic of what he was thinking about and mm-hmm. i find it i find it too easy for all of us collectively doesn't matter whether you're christian or not but to uh put ourselves on pedestals or creating us in them or to to be a be a bev <laughs> yeah yeah to be a bev exactly exactly <laughs> yeah no, i agree with you i agree with you i i think that there's that that might be something i'd want to draw out in like the early neighbor in the early neighbor um neighbor wrote a, a really interesting book that that'll be the primary book i'll look at called beyond tragedy Mm-hmm. Where where it's it's just a collection of sermons. It's a collection of sermons he did, um, and and compiled when he was a professor when he became a, the professor at uh, of social ethics at Union Theological Seminary, and and they're really great. They really are. He wrote it in thirty seven. They're 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 often very um, startling and creative. And and he's he's this Christian from the thirties who who flat out is like, of course Adam and Eve aren't real people. Don't don't be fucking idiots, you know. Like like, but he wouldn't be the first one. Ancient Christians where, said that where's too. The, where's the tragedy come in? What, what's he mean by beyond tragedy? So so for Niebuhr, tragedy the 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 human person is is a is an essentially tragic creature because we're creatures who um have the ability to see from what Niebuhr calls a transcendent place. And all he means by that is we have the ability to sort of imagine or look beyond our immediate situations and see possibilities and see, you know, uh, vision for the future. Theory Um, of mind, right? Theory of mind, right, right. (laughs) But, but that's inevitable. That's inherently tragic for Niebuhr because, um, even though we can envision that and see beyond that, we we are way too often sort of caught up in in our own anxieties and in our own sin and in our own um, limitations. And so we inevitably, in our striving, will either succeed and by succeeding, uh, uh, you know, topple over people, you know, like 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 hurt people in an attempt to to create our vision. Or will fail spectacularly and hurt people in an, in during the failure of achieving our vision, <laughs> or or we will fail to achieve our vision and and produce something so banal, so so just gross and disgusting. And like Niebuhr, he wrote this in thirty seven, but but like Niebuhr may point to like Nazi Germany as a great example of that, like like yeah. evil, banal, ridiculous, on an attempt to create what. To vision a Third Reich to establish a master race, we'll six million Jews have to be exterminated. And not only that, Eber would be like, and not only that, but it all looked like shit. Like it looked gaudy <laughs> and stupid, and and it's just disgusting, you know. And for Niebuhr, that's like th- this is the sort of the tragic reality of the human condition. And um, 
this book beyond tragedy is sort of I would I would consider it Niebuhr's like one of Niebuhr's most explicitly like theological books where where he sort of reflects on what he sees as the difference the gospel makes like on one hand the gospel is this diagnostic tool and that's how Niebuhr uses it Niebuhr uses the gospel to diagnose our problem like what's our problem this tragic sin finitude thing in which human beings just can't get around sin we can't get around the reality of 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 the bad shit we make even when we try to make good shit um but there's also this sense in which uh god um in the gospel can also draw us um out of tragedy and not not remake our situations to be not tragic but to but to build good situations and good things sort of beyond the tragedy and um i find it to be an interesting book like i think i think he he has a number of it's a number of sermons right so it's a number of basically like essays um where he kind of sketches out how he sees that that might be possible and um i think it's lovely i think it's a lovely book and 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 i would point to that book as like a good resource for like establishing a rich christian moral imagination out of niebuhr's work like because it's because it's a book about hope rather right. than a book about like you know trying to get us to stop thinking that we're you know really really great like beyond tragedy is about okay so we're not really really great but like what what can we be like well well we can be um creatures um who who are grateful you know and and mm-hmm. he was like and gratitude makes a huge difference it really does it it makes a difference in our day-to-day lives it makes a difference in our politics it makes a difference in our you know whatever and 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 Niebuhr sees, um, writes a little bit about that, right? Like that's right. like that's like an element that I, I think can create a really rich Christian moral imagination. Well, I think uh, um, the term greatness is something that, you know, we have the luxury of being able to define for ourselves, right? Like we may be failures in terms of our own expectations or our own ideals, but like compared to what, right? Sure. Compared to compared to what? Like bees? Compared to <laughs> compared to what? Like we we have set these we have set these standards ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I for it to be fundamental to the universe or fundamental to creation, I don't know if I buy that. I think that's uh, a, a human creation. Um, not that we shouldn't strive to be better towards one another, but like, um, we're pretty good to one another compared to everything else. Right. Like one of my, one of my problems with the, the idea of sin is that, um, it's, it's a self, I'm not saying it's not necessary and I'm not saying that like sin is good. I'm not trying to say that at all, but what I'm saying is like, we as human beings recognize sin and nothing else does like nothing else sure. in our world does nothing else in our known existence does. Right. Like, so it seems to me that that comes from us. Right. Um, it's not that it's not that like chimpanzees don't kill other chimpanzees or like, you know, praying mantises eat their mates. I mean, like, like <laughs> that's just sure. like the way it goes in nature. 
but we our advantage and our 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 um the reason we exist in the way that we exist is because we can kind of impose our own our own ideals and our own morals and our own uh you know compassion towards one another it's what mm-hmm. what's what's what keeps us warm in the winter it's what keeps us fed it's what keeps us talking on zoom right like right, right. that's 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 why we do that and nothing else does and i find and i i was i was reflecting on this a couple of weeks ago and i wanted to get to it with you but like yeah. the idea of 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 sin um when we talk about original sin and we talk about how mm-hmm. we're a, a fallen uh we live in a fallen world um, that's just us though. Like our world's not fallen. It's just, it's just us. Right. So I wanted to ask about, uh, and maybe since maybe, uh, I could read some Niebuhr and <laughs> get some <laughs> of the realistic angle of sure. it, but, uh, you know, what, why are we so, why are we so bad? What makes why it are we so, so bad? bad? Oh, <laughs> well, man. I mean, you know, I, if, if God, really is out there and setting the rules why would he put the rules in diametric opposition to like everything else in the natural world <laughs> right? sure, 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 sure. <laughs> why would he why would, is he fucking with us like what's, like, what's right, the point right. Right? yeah like, i hear that i hear that <laughs> well you should read niebuhr 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 is good on sin <laughs> not everybody agrees with niebuhr on sin but he's that's you know He's he's at his best, I think, when he is um, contemplating deeply uh, the psychology of human beings. Let me show you. Let me show you this. You listeners, you won't be able to see this. This this is Niebuhr's book on the human condition. So, oh, good lord! Tell me you're not doing a book report on that one. <laughs> no, not on this one. Ethan on this just one. held up a volume of War and Peace. Yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, this is this is his. So Niebuhr, this is a book called "The Nature and Destiny of Man." Oh. And Niebuhr, Niebuhr did this nice in, and succinct and to the nice, point. I see, nice and succinct. <laughs> and Niebuhr wrote this in 1941. And um, well, probably not uh, all of it in 1941. Not, not all of it, but but he did this originally was what was called the Gifford Lectures. And so in theology, there is this sort of um, Woodstock of theology lectures called the Gifford Lectures. <laughs> And uh, they they take place at the University of Edinburgh, I'm pretty sure, in Scotland. And they've been they've been doing this since the 15th century. And and you know the university invites a theologian to deliver uh, lectures over the course of like three days of any topic they want. And and then what generally happens after that is after the lectures are complete, then then it's transcribed and it then becomes a book. And so this this was something he said <laughs> which is nuts you know he, he just talks for days you know about about human beings and um what what and it's about it's about sin it's about the human condition the way human beings are psychologically theologically anthropologically and 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 sort of offers this sort of christian reflection on um a doctrine of the human being in terms of sin and evil and, and, and how redemption could be possible and what that might look like. And um, what makes this so um, uh, fascinating is Niebuhr um, is delivering these lectures while the Germans are bombing the area. Yeah. And, so, and so villages and churches and 
people are dying all around the University of, of, of Edinburgh as as Reinhold Niebuhr is lecturing on human sin and evil, you know, and 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 it's just like, yeah, you know, he just kind of looks. You hear a bomb go off, and and folks who you know, like wrote about it are like, bombs would go off, and Dr. Niebuhr would be like. Yeah, so it goes, right? Like, like here we go, you know. And uh, and I, I, I always found that I always found it interesting. Uh, yeah, Matt. Let me let's think about that. Well, you see, I, I, I think the only the the way you can most uh, the way I could describe it the easiest is if you think about sins, almost all of them that I can think of anyway, or what people would consider sinful behavior, are affronts towards humanity and society. Like it's not a sin to burn down the rainforest, you know. Sure. It's, it's not a sin to, to, you know, poach a deer or or whatever it is. Like it only it only applies to, like it's it's a sin to cheat on your wife. Well, that's because that's probably going to get somebody murdered, you know. It's a sin to steal. Well, that's because you're taking somebody else's property. But all the sins are related to other human beings, right? Sure. Sure. If you have so, a sort of a view of sin as sort of action based in those ways. Well, I'm, I'm talking about, um, you know, if you look at the seven deadlies or you look at, uh, right. you know, if you look at, you know, the Ten Commandments, these things are all to to legislate humanity and human behavior. So, sure. you know, what's considered a sin is only considered a sin because it it, it affects other humans. Sure. Sure. So. It doesn't sound universal to me. It doesn't sound. Uh, it doesn't sound bigger than us. So, right. Well, and so it's interesting. So you put it that way. Um, so from a sort of a theological history perspective, what you're describing, Matt, is a totally venerable and and I wouldn't say incorrect sort of tradition of. Oh, you can say sense. incorrect. It's okay. But I, but I wouldn't. <laughs> but I wouldn't say incorrect. I think it's fine. I think it's. I think it's. It's valid, and and I think I agree with parts of it um but but like you're describing a tradition of talking about sin that is like very historical like it's it's mm -hmm. there's a beginning of i can point to a time in christian history when people started talking about sin in that way like and they've been doing it for a while it's not like brand mm -hmm. new but but it's it's you know it's Please tell me it was before 1850. Or it's, I'm definitely, just, it's definitely before 1850. <laughs> I'm just going to fall into one of these evangelical tracks. Damn it. Right? You know, the evangelicals <laughs> control everything. How is it possible? Um, the evangelicals did spend way too much time trying to legislate sex. That's relatively new. Well, the Puritans right. had them beat before then. So. That, that's true. That's true. But even that is still relatively new. We're, we're still talking 17th and 18th century. Like, um I, so, so this sort of understanding of sin as being primarily rooted in the committing of actions that are deemed sinful versus the committing of actions that are not deemed sinful, things like that. Like that is, um, like I said, that's that's a that has historical roots. It's not. I wouldn't consider it like totally wrong. I also think you know, raping a person is sinful and bad. Um, mm -hmm. It's not as you like to say sometimes rape is not on the list of the 10 commandments but <laughs> but um a a good uh read of the new testament and frankly a pretty decent read of the old testament do will will help one arrive at the conclusion that is probably a sin and we should not be doing that um but like that is i think that's perfectly fine a, a sort of uh, another v way of looking at sin 
which is rooted in um, the New Testament in particular, is um, sort of seeing sin. And, and, and you, you said the phrase original sin a little while ago. This would be mm -hmm. more conducive to what we would call original sin. Um, another way of viewing sin is to see sin as this sort of, um, uh, we might say disease, we might say um, um, state of the world, we might say era. Some people would say era of the world. We live in the era of sin. Um, in, and, and what sin does then is sin sort of functions as this um, filter, this lens, this, this um, given to our um, relationship to the world and the world's relationship to us as being one that is distorted. And so mm -hmm. um, even, my, even my actions that are not sinful um, because of original sin and this way of viewing sin, um, my actions that are not sinful, quote unquote, can still be tainted by sin. Um, they can be tainted by uh, bad desires, by, by mm -hmm. a, fault, a, a failure to love fully. Um, they can, or in a really sim simply basic way, if Niebuhr were here, he would say, yeah, or they can just be tainted by the fact that we are finite and frail. And, and therefore incomplete. Like all of our loves, if Niebuhr were here, he would say, every single thing you love, you love badly. Mm -hmm. and, and he's like, and all I mean by badly is that you love it in a way that it is laced and stained with sin, whether that's because of a selfish reason, because of a, uh, a finite or incomplete reason, your love can only extend to a certain degree. Niebuhr never said this, but I too but I do, uh, human beings are so weird and fickle that uh, the way we treat the most important people in our lives can uh, be changed depending on how hungry we are. Right. You know, like, like right. I, I can treat the love of my life like the scum of the earth if I'm a little hungry, you know? Right. And, and like, and Niebuhr would say, yeah, right. Like that's yeah. sort of a part of sin and the tragedy of, 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 human life because of original sin yes i hear all that but my right. point is that only applies to us humans so if there was no human tomorrow like if, if we had a rapture <laughs> and every human being like vanished from the earth tomorrow would sin be gone that is a good question i so niebuhr would say probably yes um, which niebuhr means it's not universal it's unique to human beings it's unique to us and i would i would put forward that it's created by us <laughs> that's interesting i don't think i don't think niebuhr would disagree actually i don't think anybody would disagree with what you just <laughs> said there like like the almost the entire christian tradition except for kind of crazy people on in, in on the calvinist end of things that have a view of god that says everything that happens in heaven and on earth happens because of God's design. Therefore, God is the maker of sin. And you just need to fucking deal with it. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm like, you're insane. But, um, but Niebuhr, I think, I think that Niebuhr would, um, if Niebuhr were here, he, I think he'd agree. I think he'd be like, yeah, I think there's a real chance that if, if human beings disappeared tomorrow, there would be no sin. Um, and Niebuhr would certainly agree that human beings are, are creators of sin in a really important way. I think that, However, I think I disagree with Niebuhr on the first part. Um, well, well let, let me put it this way. I think that I don't know if I disagree or agree with Niebuhr on the first part. 
I think that, however, I do think that there are compelling arguments within the Christian tradition that that would say, no, sin is sort of primordial in the created order. Um, uh, part of the reason why Niebuhr would say if, if human beings disappeared tomorrow, sin would disappear tomorrow is because Niebuhr has a vision of the human person as being a little bit separate from creation. And so for Niebuhr, humans, part of So he's an elitist. uh, Well, in in a sense, in a sense, Niebuhr has a view of humanity that that humans have sort of one foot in creation and and another foot in, he wouldn't say heaven, that's way too kitschy. That's that's something you would not say, but has, has another foot not in creation. You know, that's part of this sort of transcendence element of human beings that we can transcend our historical circumstances to see in the future to see possibilities well that would that would sort of make sense that's why dolphins don't have a bible you know yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) that is why but but niebuhr would that that's part of the reason why i think niebuhr would agree that if humans disappear tomorrow sin would disappear tomorrow because there's a sense in which sin is not um is not is not necessarily connected to the stuff of creation it's more that it's connected to the to the weird beings that we are Mm -hmm. um and and that's a part of Niebuhr's theology that I sort of disagree with. I I, I don't find a lot of um, evidence to suggest that human beings, biblical evidence or theological evidence in our tradition, to suggest that human beings are sort of something extra than creation. Right. You know, and and so for me to to affirm that we are in fact monkeys wearing shoes, which I am totally fine with affirming, like like <laughs> of course we are, like affirming that I, we are monkeys wearing shoes and that we bear the image of God can absolutely go together because evolution is perfectly compatible with all of this. Right. Like, um, but because I think I really am a monkey wearing shoes, that means that from a sort of a status perspective. I'm really not any different than any other part of creation. And so if I'm sinning, if, if sin affects me, then, then logically, and there are folks that I respect in the Christian tradition that would say that, then, then to a degree, in some way, sin has permeated all of creation. What that looks like for a chimpanzee might be very different than what it looks like for a human being. Just, just by nature of the way in which we are who we are, like I uh, have the ability to, you know, as a human being, I can do mathematics right. and, and uh, a chimpanzee might only be able to do a little bit of mathematics. You know, after, <laughs> so so what you're saying, what you're saying, if I could sort of summarize it in my own brain, is that, that we have the ability to impact the others way more than they have the ability to impact us. Therefore, our, our um, susceptibility to sin is much more dire and recognizable because we can see the effects that it has on not only ourselves and our society, but our environment, our, our, our uh, place in the world, if you will. Whereas, you know, if a, if a chimpanzee sinning it doesn't really affect anybody else. Is right, that what right. is that what you're saying? Is that there, there might be a sense of that? I think I actually think I would lean on um, a slightly different way of putting it, and I would draw I would draw a secular thinker and a theologian together. Uh, you really like Carl Sagan, or you've mm-hmm. shared with me that you really like Carl Sagan. 
And I don't know a shit ton about Carl Sagan, but I know that Carl Sagan is one who, correct me if I'm wrong, who, who sort of talks about human beings as sort of being that part of nature that can kind of contemplate itself. You know, right. that, that, and, and so there's a sense that he might not use this language, but this is a theologically way of, theological way of using this language. Human beings are then sort of this capstone, this, this, um, this aspect of nature that, that is unique in nature in a really important way. Um, and because of that uniqueness, that sort of contemplation ability, there is a sense then in which human beings can do stuff to nature. Um, right, that and that's other... sort of where, that was sort of the point that I was trying to make yes. with, with sin. Like we can, we can create sin. We have created sin, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, out of, uh, out of, out of the um, diaspora of, of creation that God placed into existence human beings are also able to call things into existence and i would argue that those things can be called into existence without god's intervention but continue with what you're saying sure so so the only extra thing i would say to that is carl sagan that sort of way carl sagan talks is has some similarities with some ancient christian thinkers uh like one of my favorites maximus the confessor who who talks about human beings as being the high priests of creation right and right. and and all what that means for from Saint Maximus is human beings um, have the ability to lead creation in worship. Um, the problem is is that we don't always worship God, and, <laughs> right. we can, and we can lead creation into the worship of things <laughs> that will destroy creation and harm creation. We mostly worship ourselves. We mostly worship <laughs> <Okay>. ourselves, or <laughs> or as we as we begin to dig into powers and principalities, you find ourselves worshiping powers and making right. creation worship powers too. I mean, that's such a rich way of thinking about things like oil spills, right? Like, right. like you know, the power of big oil uh, demanding worship will destroy creation. <laughs> <You know? laughs> If, if they don't get the worship they want. Um, and so in a sense, sin is, is sort of this human invention that in those ways of, see, of, of viewing um, has permeated into creation. Um, for St. Maximus, St. Maximus takes a really, you know, he's, he's a confessional theological mind. And so he, he sees uh, the economy of death in creation in which creatures kill each other to, for substance or whatever. Um, as as a sign of the permeation of sin, and that's a speculative approach. Like like that's you know I I don't I'm not here to pretend like Saint Maximus was a was a scientist. Like he's right. he's speculating on this, um, um, and 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 so like there's a sense there where Maximus might say, you know, if you were to ask Maximus if human beings left tomorrow, would would creation be better? Would it would it um would sin disappear? St. Maximus would, would have a hard time. Would it um, matter? <laughs> well, well, St. Maximus would have a hard time answering the question because for St. Maximus, he would say, well, if human beings disappear from creation, creation has fundamentally been marred because Maximus doesn't, doesn't imagine that human beings are extra to creation. In, in, you know, he, he, would, he would say, well, if, if any part of creation disappeared tomorrow, that would be a tremendous loss. That would be, that would be sort of, of uh, uh, shaking the integrity of creation, 
But Maximus would also say, but if we can imagine human beings somehow disappearing tomorrow, sin has still permeated creation. And so for St. Maximus, he would say, sin is still in, uh, creation is still in need of salvation and, and still in need of restoration. But once again, that's a speculative approach and not everybody buys that, you know? I, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, I think, um, I, again, I still think that that sin is more or less a human creation um, because everything else seems to fall in the natural order. I mean, you take even something like death, right? Sure. We always talk about the power of death and how death is evil. Death has been around since, since before life, you know, stars were exploding and dying. Like, like that's just how things work. Right. And we started off the episode talking about, you know, power as leverage right yeah yeah mm -hmm. what what could be more powerful as leverage than than death than you know death. having this having this clock ticking um inspires one to to do stuff <laughs> you know you sure? got to, you got the moves you got to breathe you got to eat you got to do all these things to stave off this power of death um that i don't necessarily see as evil with a capital e I wouldn't mm. consider death like sin. Um, I would consider it just, you know, part of the natural order of things, the way that things, the way that things work, they always have worked that way. I mean, there was never a time in all of creation without death. Since creation, there's been death. You know, sure. creation is the, the act of being created is to be alive or to be in existence and then sure. and be moving inexorably towards non-existence again right that's right, that, right. the whole point of being here right so i think death might actually be uh the the um the canvas on which life is painted if you will <laughs> sure that's uh that's uh morbid but i i like i like the poetry <laughs> i like the poetry and and this is when this is the stuff you're saying. This is why an evangelical sort of imposition on the world is is such a such a loss, because it paints sort of historical Christian thinking in this really kind of weird light, where 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 a bunch of superstitious nonsense takes place. And and like like your comment about you know, since creation was creation, there was death. For somebody like um, one of my favorites, Gregory of Nyssa, or or other you know Christian philosophers, you know in antiquity, and frankly Christian philosophers up until 1870, you know like like you know for a long time would say, well of course you know because mm -hmm. we're not simpletons, we we know that that death is is a part of creation. Um, because we don't, we know that the story of Adam and Eve isn't a historical account of anything. We know it's a, it's a form of mythological knowledge that we, we take to see as, as a, communicating a spiritual truth. And for Gregory of Nyssa, that spiritual truth is, um, even though from creation's beginning, the economy of death is there, um, Gary of Nyssa would say, while that's true, that is not the goal of God. And, and Gregory of Nyssa, I'm using Gregory of Nyssa because I think the way he talks about it is pretty elegant. Like for Gregory of Nyssa, he would say creation is not done yet. Like for mm -hmm. him, there's this real sense in which what salvation is, is the completion of creation. 
And so we're not, God has not through Jesus Christ finished out the, the uh, work of creation. And when God does finish the work of creation, existence and life will be different. It will be changed. It will be transformed. And um, for Gregory of Nyssa, once again, that's a speculative approach, but it's also what I would call a really morally rich approach because it inspires Gregory of Nyssa in his reading of the gospel and how he constructs it. It inspires Gregory of Nyssa to be the first recorded instance in the entirety of the West of being an abolitionist of slavery. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it inspires Gregory of Nyssa to say, um, women are people. Right. You know, it inspires Gregory of Nyssa to to say um, people with no money or should be treated with dignity and love. Like these are all things of, all of which I agree with. When I absolutely. And I'm not saying, but, you don't. but all of these also impact us as humans. And that's it. <laughs> you see what I mean? I do see like what the, you're saying. Yeah, it's it is it is for us. It is by us. <laughs> it is made for us and by us. For us to survive, for us to treat each other with respect and dignity, and and that is all for our own benefit. Like that doesn't sure. benefit ch- chimpanzees. That doesn't benefit like the rings of Saturn. It doesn't. It it it's only for us. That's my point. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what yeah. you're saying. And and like. Gregory of Nyssa, so Maxus the Confessor would say, of course it only benefits us. And it's good that it does. Which is why it's necessary. I'm not saying it's not necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like <laughs> it's, and it's good it does because of the fact that we're the high priest of creation. And if we're sick, creation is fucking sick. Yeah. You know, and, and there's, and, and I find that, that argument um, to be hard to argue with. Um, yeah. That maybe not the speculative stuff before that. Like I find the speculative stuff before that convincing, but that's just because of my own confession. But like, right. like it, even if you take the speculative stuff out, it's it's difficult to argue with the fact that like healthy human beings with healthy relationships to the land means that the land is also healthy. Yeah, you know, like like it's it's tough to argue. Um, and 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 in fact, like sinful humanity with with a very shitty relationship to the rest of the created order means that the created order is very sick and right. and and it's and it's in deep it's in deep but, trouble but, but that sort of thing is kind of the hubris of humanity that i'm talking about right sure. because like the the land was fine before we were here <laughs> you know the land was so good in fact that it allowed us to come into being right sure, we, sure. the conditions were the, the conditions were good enough for us to to, to be here in the first place so like if, and if we were to disappear tomorrow change it might change but like let's not forget that like oxygen was originally a toxin to life <laughs> right sure. and now it's a necessity for life so i mean is quote unquote good and bad or what is good for the land and what is bad for the land and again the land being healthy is healthy for us right the land doesn't care is my point so mm-hmm. this is where this is the uh the agnostic struggle i've been going through I understand. the last couple of weeks <laughs> i do i understand i understand well and and here's here's the thing like like maybe may, actually maybe you do like maybe you would like this argument um or or rather maybe you would see how this argument is a slightly different argument than 
than others. Like, I think for me, um, as I study more, as I um, continue to struggle with church and continue to get pissed off at bishops and 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 study theology with a ton of people of other religions or no religions or, or whatever, like a couple of things happened to me. One, I've become a whole lot less um, churchy. And I'm like, I'm like five seconds away from just becoming a fucking Quaker and being like, yeah, I'm a Quaker. Don't leave me the fuck alone, you know. Um, but I also um, I also begin to respect more and more the arguments from beauty, which we talk about sometimes. Sure, like, sure. like, why, why are why am I convinced of X, Y, Z thing in the gospel? Well, I'm, I'm ultimately convinced because I find it beautiful. And um, and I think that there's rich thinking to it. Like I don't think I don't think the history of Christian thought is full of dummy, superstitious nonsense people. Like like I think it's right. full of morally serious, intellectually rigorous. I don't rigorous. mean to sound. I don't mean to to say that it is. I, I'm not. Oh, of course, I know, I know. But but like I'm just sharing on my end. Like as I reflect and listen to your agnostic struggle, <laughs> I I also have an agnostic struggle. Like like I think that's a good thing. I think that I think that means that that we are uh, beginning to do our best to to like struggle with God and struggle with with the world. Um, but but like the things that help me in my agnostic struggle are are or the things that quiet that a little bit, the things that that continue to help me engage in healthier ways so that I don't just slip into agnostic despair. <laughs> is is um when i am moved by the beauty of the whole thing you know and and i think that that's good enough i actually do like like i think that i i think that beautiful things are are true things and they're good things and they and they communicate something more than what like math can communicate right you know and that's a good and, thing because that's what we're it. really talking about i get yeah. it i just wish that the um, the religious community, if you will, mm -hmm. would stop trying to sound so universal and just admit mm -hmm. that, like, it's about us, right? Sure. It's about us, and it's about our relationships, and if you listen to the teachings of Jesus Christ, those are for us, not for the world, not for heaven and earth, not for you know, nature. I, I, I just don't think that it's that big. I think mm. it's for us. Right. And I, I, I agree with the men, the mentality. I agree with, with the uh, philosophy of Jesus. I don't need the uh, mysticism. I don't need all that stuff. I need to know that like, we need to take care of each other and we need to love one another and we need to support one another and care for the least of these. And these things are all related to us sure. and that's okay. It doesn't have to be bigger than that. I feel like a lot of people are, uh, this stems from a conversation that I had with my father mm -hmm. who's uh, recently been, well, not recently. He's, he's really been going to church a lot and, He's kind of getting into this evangelical mm. mindset. And I'm like, you know, he I I just wish that he he he's doing it because he's getting old. <laughs> right? sure. He's afraid of dying and he looks back on his life and he goes, Oh man, 
I've done a lot of bad things and I don't want to go to hell. And right. like, that's where, that's where this, this comes from for him. I think now he would never admit that or say that, but he doesn't listen. He's not one of the 12. So screw him. But <laughs> right, the right. point is, the point is I feel like a lot of people are in it to win it. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of people um, that confess their Christianity or any, any religion are, are in it for, purely selfish reasons and that is antithetical to what the teachings are <laughs> sure i agree like yeah, yeah. like if you're if you're doing the if you're if you're going to church every sunday and you're plopping your money into the offering plate because you think you're going to like have a day of judgment and you're going to be one of those people that's selected to be in paradise then you're doing it wrong you're just you're just doing it wrong in my opinion you know and I think that's a lot of the motivation with people. This is like the struggle I've been. Uh, I, I when I texted you a couple of weeks ago, I was like, ah, well, that, this yeah, is yeah. why because like I feel like like you should do this because you care about you know humanity in general, not because yeah. you're trying to buy your way off the island. <laughs> yeah, I, you know I agree. You know I agree with that. I really do. I it it's. You know, and and I we're wrapping this up, and and we're gonna obviously keep talking about stuff like this. So I'd like yeah. that's that's <laughs> that might be the theme of the second season. But uh, I, you know, it's important to remember, listeners. Matt already knows this because Matt's heard me say this a shit ton of times. <laughs> the the passages in the Bible of comfort, of of eternal life, of all of those things. Those are really good and important passages, and and they really only make sense when you remember that we're talking about our down and out, impoverished nobodies. Right. When when those same passages are used to comfort powerful, wealthy people, and I'm not saying anything. You know, your dad is. I'm not trying to make a a, a judgment no, on your dad. I'm with you. Keep going. I'm with but, you. <laughs> but like, but like when. When those passages are used to comfort, you know, people like that, they very quickly become banal. They very quickly become mm-hmm. these sort of weird passages in which in which the entirety of the of the religion is oriented towards um, fire insurance, so that you right. don't go to hell. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, and that's ridiculous. That that's why that's why the Book of Revelation in the wrong hands has done so much bizarre work. You know, or or why these passages devoid of the context of the of of who they really are meant to speak to um, causes uh, all of this wacky like Christian triumphalism and mm-hmm. and and people going on camera, politicians going on camera saying, "Of course, I'm working for a Christianized society. We're going to rule the world." Like, like I'm like, <laughs> okay, you know, like like whoa, man. Like, this is totally wrong. And the funny thing is, is that the scriptures and the tradition of the church are full of, of stopgap moments that are mm-hmm. meant to stop us from doing that. You know, I, in church today, there was many crises in church today. I was in the office today, and yeah. I had one crisis after another. People are dying of COVID. People are, um, which is really bad, and, and people are very scared that the church is going to close because we're because money is looking really really bad and and attendance is really bad there's just so many things phone calls i had to make and it was just really tough and uh, one of the people i was talking to they were like maybe you just need to get mean pastor 
you know, maybe you just need to, to be tyrannical and just go in there and uh, and do it. And I'm like, okay, they're not going to like that at all. They're like, well, maybe they need that. And I'm like, I don't know. James 5 makes it very clear that rich people are the only ones in hell. <laughs> yeah. And I could preach on that if you really want. <laughs> you know? And they're like, no, 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 don't do that. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, but, so. yeah, but just imagine, imagine for a second, if you were to go into church on Sunday and and say what you just said, to me and to our 12 listeners about, you know, those passages about comfort aren't for you. Right. Right. <laughs> those people would lose their minds. They would man. lose their mind. You're they exactly lose right. Their mind. So if I were to go to my father and say, Hey, you know, those, those passages that you're talking about, they're not for you. He would say, yes, it is for everybody. God loves everyone. And, and they'd immediately fall into this tropism and, and they don't get it, no. you know? And no. they they would it would probably do more damage than it would help to to point that out to some of those people. I so. think you're right. I think it's so embedded um, that that you you almost have to uh, be really strategic and weird about it. And there's some there's some success in that, right? Like you know we we we'll talk about the changes that happen in some folks at Irwinsville, where mm-hmm. after three years of just like you know slowly pulling yep. it out you know chiseling it away then 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 it's like oh i see yes yes you can see it now um and it's tough you know i I get it there there's the theologians that i've come to really appreciate i i can appreciate lots of theologians but the theologians i've come to really appreciate are the ones that are very quick to remind us that that the gospel is bad news for people who have had only good news in their lives mm-hmm. like and and so you know it's it's actually bad news for the rich it's not good news for the rich it could be good news for the rich in that hey go, hey just want to let you know your relationship to your wealth and the things you're owning are going to send you to e- eternal perdition and it's <laughs> not going to be fun but here's the good news if you light your money on fire in the backyard and come and follow Jesus, you might not go to hell. <laughs> like, like, like that might be good news, but like, or, no, you know, if you insanity, don't want but go ahead. it's insanity, but like, <laughs> I agree. It's bad news. It's bad news for the wealthy. Like, like the promise of eternal life. And remember, like when I talk about heaven and hell, that's, that shit's not even in the new Testament either. Like it's, <laughs> it's eternal life and, 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 you know, wasted life basically. Right. Like, like the life Christ promises us, you know, for following the gospel is, is life abundant. And that is very good news because that includes things like the selling of our possessions and, and, and trust and faith in uh, a, a, a perfect saving love at the center of the universe. The ability to look into the face of, of down and out outcasted people and say, you are the son of God. Mm-hmm. That brings abundant life. Um, the, the problem, Matt, is that most people really just don't want abundant life. Mm-hmm. Most people just don't want that. You know, <laughs> most people, particularly people who, you know, like us, who have fairly easy lives, like yeah. like compared to most of the world. Life is fine. Thanks very much. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I actually don't want that, you know, and, and the trick and, and, and then maybe this will be by my wrap up, like the trick as a, for me as a pastor and as a theologian is to try to stoke desire for abundant life 
in people's hearts. Like, mm-hmm. but I know it feels like you don't want this. I'm not, there's no, since I don't believe in hell, there's really no threat of hell. I'm not here to threaten <laughs> you, you know, like, like the, I, I'm trying to help you want this. You right. want this, trust me, right. you want this. Like, like the, I used to say, and I still say it sometimes, like my being a pastor is, is a little bit, sometimes people want to say being a pastor is like teaching people how to build boats. But it's not really like that. Being a pastor is more like trying to get people to fall in love with the ocean. Right. And if you can get people to fall in love with the ocean, then they'll just build the boats themselves. And, right. and you know, there's no there's no reason to teach them how to build a boat. Like, like you just, right. you're just supposed to get them to fall in love with the ocean. And that's that's sort of my whole idea is like, yeah, I'm just trying to get people to fall in love with with a beautiful God and, and a right. beautiful savior. And if they can fall in love with that, then all of the things that we're talking about here, like the doubts and stuff like that. It's not that they go away. Um, they, no, but they, they don't matter as much. They, but you're right. It doesn't matter as much yeah. because, because then it's, then it's like, well, I just, I just want, I just want that beautiful thing. You know, I want, <laughs> I want that beautiful thing to be a part of my life. And, and if I have to uh, trust, or if I have to um, have a relationship to the poor and my money, that is, way more generous than most people would think is sane like like yeah. then i'll do that you know yeah. and i don't know i think that's it i think that's the key well you know what and that and that's that's part of that's a little bit of a salvation in itself because like i mean i don't lay awake and worry about like dying and going sure. to hell i don't do that like i lay awake and worry about taking care of people taking care yeah. of my family taking care of my friends taking care of strangers i I'd worry about that stuff but like the anxiety that a lot of people have, I don't have for for our finitude or or you know death or you know fear. I don't have a lot of that. I have fear, but it's not directed in those ways. So a lot of the 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 way of living a Christian life uh, is is comforting now. Like it's yeah. it's not, it's not about it's not about eternal life. It's about life. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me anyway. Um, yeah. So there's my wrap up. <laughs> I like it. This is good. We're going to listeners. Don't worry. We're going to keep talking about um, all this. We'll talk about shit. movies and music. Have you seen Titans? 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 Uh, like it's that a movie. It's on HBO. Oh, oh, the live action, like Teen Titans yes. uh, thing. I've been Just meaning to watch that. it. I've been meaning Just... to watch it because I, I love Nightwing. Yeah, um, I'm a big Nightwing fan, and and I'd like to watch it because um, all that shit on HBO Max is great. Like I love oh, all. It's the really DCs. good. I love. Well, all I the guess DC this stuff. was a W. I think this was a WB production back in 2018. I just started watching yeah, it, but I it's think now it began that way, and then HBO Max. Well, it's yeah. very clearly adult oriented. It is not Teen Titans at all, but mm-hmm. like uh, it's it's way more violent, way more adult oriented. But um, I watched first ten episodes or so of it, and I I really. I really dig it. I you will hate it with some of the Batman stuff. You will Whatever. hate that, but um, it's not bad. But don't worry, listeners. We'll still talk about music and we'll still right, talk right. about you know comic books and all that bullshit. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that'll be good. Off the rails. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, this is good, buddy. I'm gonna sign us off. Right on, friends. Thanks for listening. This has been an episode of Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan. We will see you next time.